0: Hello, and welcome to Living It Radio. I'm Kelly DiNardo, here with Amy Pierce Hayden. We are the authors of Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat.
1: Through our book and this podcast, we aim to make the principles of yoga alive, active, accessible, and personal. On this podcast, we go deeper into the topics we address in the book by talking to compelling people who can help us live an inspired, connected, joyful life.
0: Today we are joined by Mo Gaudet. Mo is the author of Solve for Happy, Engineer Your Path to Joy, in which he applied logic and problem solving to the issue of happiness and created an algorithm for happiness regardless of the circumstances of life. In 2014, that equation was put to the ultimate test when Mo lost his son, Ali, to preventable medical error during a simple surgical procedure. In honor of his son, Mo has dedicated his life to sharing this happiness equation with the world. In this conversation, we talk about Mo's formula for happiness, why happy emotions are anchored in the present, and how to prime the brain for happiness. Mo, thank you so much for joining us today. We are really thrilled to have you on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. I am very thrilled to have myself here. Thank you for inviting me. It took us a few times to try and make this work. I hope it will be worth everybody's time
0: it will be. I'm so sure of it. So I was hoping you could start by telling us how you first got interested in happiness research, because that's not your original background or kind of career goals. Uh,
2: not at all, but aren't, aren't we all, or, or at least shouldn't we all be interested in happiness? I, um, I, I think I was so fortunate to have been given the reasons for a middle age crisis at age 29. I think that's probably the summary of my of my life. I I I became um, I, I'm I'm Egyptian, born and raised in Egypt. I was educated uh, in public schools, public universities in Egypt, and I you know I had ambitions, but I didn't have major expectations from life, if you want. And uh, somehow life blessed me uh, so rapidly and so generously. That by age 29, I had everything that everyone works a lifetime for. You know, all of the wealth, all of the toys. I had a beautiful, wonderful woman uh, as my partner who gave me two amazing children. And life was exactly how it should be. And I was totally miserable, Mm -hmm. Uh, which, which is really interesting. Because before all of that started, like maybe until 23, 24 years of age, I was the happiest person you can ever meet, and and you know it's it gets uh, it gets confusing because when you have the means, you sort of throw money at the problem. You know, I go to holidays and I buy expensive suits and I bought cars and I did this and I did that, and and when you realize that none of this is working, you start to go like, this is going to be a problem. You know, it's like it's it's not going to be fixed. It doesn't seem that I have anything to do to fix it and i remember vividly one time when my daughter uh, aya, aya is a true sunshine even even today uh, at the time she was you know so happy and so jumping up and down and having fun and i remember vividly the image of myself that grumpy control freakish kind of father uh, basically breaking her heart and i and i remember vividly that i decided at that moment that i actually didn't like this guy anymore and i i needed to do something about it and that's where i started to research uh, research happiness as a almost as a savior as, as a as a way out of my misery if you want mm,
1: a final resort
2: a final resort and, and 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 you know the challenge was that i actually uh, I, I struggled because you know I, i'm an engineer i'm a mathematician i think uh, about everything from a point of view of science and physics and so on and the material I was searching was not helping at all you know the uh, I was researching wasn't helping at all it was you know most most of uh, of happiness um, um, discussions are found either in spirituality or in practice or you know maybe an economist research on you know the trends and and uh, societal uh, uh, movements and so on but but nothing was really talking to my scientific brain if you want nothing was really uh, um, logical enough for me to grasp it, and you know, I, in an interesting way, which I I now I now laugh at myself. Then, but if somebody said Om, then it would frustrate me. If somebody spoke with a spiritual uh, tone, it it would it would go like, don't talk to me about what to do. Tell me why I should do it, and and I think this is where my my research started to shift and perhaps made it. A little bit special in terms of an approach to happiness, an engineer's approach to happiness if you want.
1: So then you have to we have to kind of define what happiness is first, don't we and the difference between joy and happiness and contentment and
0: uh, and yeah.
1: actually if we're, if, if we're solving for a problem, in an equation, I suppose we have to know what we're solving for specifically.
2: There you go, Amy. That's, that's the engineer in you. Yeah,
1: so. my, father was a, my father was an engineer.
2: So that's, that's, that was surprisingly, so that was uh, my second biggest uh, piece of work was uh, I, I basically decided if I, you know, I could be standing on top of happiness itself and I wouldn't even recognize it mm-hmm. because I don't know what it is. And you'll be amazed, even today, as I speak to tens of thousands of people every year, uh, you know, when you ask them to define happiness, there doesn't seem to be a, a, uh, you know, a common, agreed definition, a consistent definition, yeah. And so I did it like a scientist. Basically, I took as many data points as I could find uh, in my life about moments where I felt happy and I tried to uh, literally plot charts across them uh, that that would give us a trend line, if you know what I mean. So, if you know, if you can find the pattern for all of the moments in your life that uh, that make you ha- that where you felt happy, then you could probably develop an equation that says happiness is this. And so uh, you'll be amazed huh? a- 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 across every moment in your life you've ever felt happy. I found only one thing that is in common which simply is that uh, you feel happy when life seems to be going your way it doesn't really matter what the event is okay uh, you, you know it it could be rainy outside and that would make you make you very happy if you wanted to water your plant uh, you know if you if you wanted to sunbathe then you know rain outside would make you very unhappy and and in a very interesting way that to me could be Uh, documented in a very uh, accurate uh, mathematical equation. So I defined happiness as the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. So every moment in your life where your expectations are met, uh, that's a moment where you get that feeling we call happiness, which is simply that peaceful contentment of I am okay with life as it is which uh, which defines happiness not as the modern way of defining it, which is fun and, you know, vacations and buying things and so on. It's just being okay with life as it is right now. It's to have that peace in you. Uh, and and interestingly, th- that even is supported by our findings on the hormones that go through our body uh, when, when we're happy. And so happiness is associated with serotonin, mm-hmm. which is a calmer. It's basically a hormone that says, to your entire uh, sympathetic or parasympathetic nervous system in that case it sort of says everything's okay don't change anything you're fine and 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 that's what happiness really is uh unhappiness in that equation becomes defined even more interestingly uh, because unhappiness in that equation is a moment where the events don't meet your brain's expectations of how life should be which is basically a survival moment. Unhappiness truly is simply a survival mechanism. It's your brain analyzing the world around you and saying something is not what I wanted to be here. And maybe I should alert you to this. Maybe you should. We should do something about it, right? So you know, you're, you're you could be in a relationship, and your your girlfriend is wonderful, or boyfriend is wonderful and giving and caring, and you know, and and maybe he has four hairs in his ears, and you would start to say, oh no, that's not right. That I don't, I can't accept this. This is not going to make life safe for me. You know, he doesn't groom for me. He doesn't love me. Uh, I'm going to go back on dating sites, and you can build a whole story, uh, <laughs> right, out Absolutely. of out of a very simple uh, discrepancy between how you want life to be and what life actually is.
1: So then, is it a matter of lowering our expectations and That's- changing our expectations?
2: So that's, the, the first one was the engineer, engineer in you, this one is the achiever in you, <laughs> Wow, so.
1: we've known each other eight minutes and you've already figured me
2: out. <laughs> so, is it, yeah, the engineer achiever. No, but it's interesting because that question actually always comes to me from achievers. Uh, so so there are there are two ways to go through life. And when I wrote Soul for Happy, I didn't write Soul for Happy from a happiness guru point of view, if you want. You know, the I, I actually don't have the luxury, I wish I did, where I could, you know, spend four hours a day meditating or take a trip to India. I'm I'm like everyone else, engaged in the modern world. I have a startup business. I was working at Google when I wrote Sol for Happy. So basically uh, um you know, I I I think we need to find both happiness and success in tandem. And I think that the, the balance in the modern world becomes very, very difficult when you want to achieve both. But yes, uh, you know, the truth is, as per the happiness equation and as per observations around the world, if you lower your expectations, you're happier. So So if you live in India and your expectations are that not every day I'm going to be able to eat, a bowl of rice would make you extremely happy if you live in in france and the soup is not ex perfectly cold uh, you know perfectly hot uh you you're, you're gonna be upset your expectations in france when it comes to your meal are very different than what it is in india and and so yes lowering your expectations would make you happier uh, but lowering expecti- your expectations wouldn't take you far in life at all And I, and i am a huge believer that we are here for a purpose you know every one of us has uh, uh, you know has a mark to leave on life somehow. Whether that mark is you know to create something amazing or discover something like Einstein or you know or uh, build something like Steve Jobs or whatever, or your 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 task could be to smile in someone's uh, uh, face one day and change their life forever, and that could be your contribution. But regardless uh, of what your contribution to life is, if you're not ambitious enough to say to to set uh, uh stretching targets uh then you're not going to go far in life and so i differentiate between expectations and uh expectations and uh ambitions so so ambitions and targets but don't get disappointed and close your room and complain about life and cry for 3 years if they are missed uh, you know your expectation of what's going to happen in life should be realistic while while your actual uh, ambition and attempt to make an impact or to, to, to create to have an impact on life should be uh, uh um, you know stretching it should be um a little bit pushing you out of your comfort zone
0: that that reminds me of what michelle ghilin said in season one of the podcast about joy being the the happiness or the feeling you have when you're working towards your purpose working towards your goal um that was her definition of happiness which i I thought was interesting.
1: Um,
2: uh, I don't agree with the the definition of purpose as per the Western uh, way of looking at it, unfortunately. And I, I say that with a lot of respect, but but you know, our Western mentality has a tendency to categorize and productize a lot of things, and and even purpose becomes a destination, a point in the future and everyone who understands anything about happiness will tell you that uh, longing for any point in the future is not going to make you happy even if it's a great point where you save the world so so my my definition of purpose is actually really uh, different it's it it's surprisingly informed by video games and you know and, and if you really think about our life Uh, as an infinite game as they call it you know a game with no real target because it's a zero-sum game if you understand what I mean you come you come to this life with nothing and you leave with nothing so everything that you make in the middle is not really yours it's almost like you're renting life if you want now if you think about it this way then suddenly your purpose becomes this very moment that's your only purpose in life and gamers real gamers understand that very well Uh, for a real gamer uh, you know, if 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 you finish the game, then you stop playing. And that's actually not the purpose at all. You're supposed to be playing and having fun and enjoying and developing and becoming a better gamer. And so and
1: making adjustments and... and
2: exactly, and, and, mm-hmm. and flowing with how life flows. And if you really take that definition, my definition of a life's purpose is to be the best gamer you can ever become. And the only way to do that is to constantly engage in the game, to play. If, if, if you really uh, take every moment, like this moment, you ladies are my life purpose. You know, the audience that are listening to me are my life purpose. And my life purpose in general, I could directionally say that my life purpose is uh, aiming to make others happy or aiming to leave a positive impact on the world. But to define it in a, in a Western way and say... You know, it's um, a a laptop for every child, which was a very noble mission that, you know, was spoken about quite a few uh, years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's actually sort of a productized and a a mission statement, almost corporate-like life purpose. And it's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is to say my life purpose is here and now. It's just this minute, because in reality, I will never access any other minute. I cannot impact any other minute.
1: And you write that uh, happy emotions in particular are mostly anchored in the present. So I would agree with that. I, I think we want to believe, as you were saying before, that oh, when I finally get that promotion and I can buy that car that I want and I, can, I have my second child or I have what all the things that we think will make us happy in the future. The chasing. Uh-huh. Yeah. The chasing. I think I agree with that. So how do, how do we stay more anchored in the present and how do we realize how do we turn our mind to believe that that's true that it's the present that's going to bring us happiness
2: so I I, I, I am a huge believer that um, that in the modern world you know we need to understand life with logic Unfortunately as much as I dislike this uh, we live in a hyper masculine world where many of us have, uh, uh, unfortunately, been taught that the way to navigate the modern world is analytical. It's linear. It's all of the wrong things, if you ask me. But uh, but as an engineer, I learn. I learn. I develop. <laughs> I mean, I'm. I'm. And I'm. I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not. Not only an engineer, I'm Middle Eastern. Huh? So the way they raise you as a as a as a male, a man, a boy in the Middle East is hyper manly, right? And and believe it or not, I think my best years ever were when I started to embrace my femininity completely. I'm, you know, I'm in my next book. I I publicly announced to the world that I believe I'm 58% feminine and and, and 42 uh, masculine. And that has nothing to do with your body parts. Has nothing to do with your sexuality. It's a it's a set of qualities uh, that we need to associate with and and that we embrace. And you know, surprisingly, I find that uh, uh, unlike modern belief. Uh, everyone who's ever changed the world was more feminine than masculine. Anyone that ever had an impact—I mean, if you really think about it, Gandhi couldn't have done what he's done with masculine qualities. Masculine qualities would have gone to war. You know, if you if you even think about Steve Jobs, which is sometimes portrayed as a you know a, a tyrant of a of a CEO. His real real differences were made through his empathy to what the customer uh, may feel when they when they hold his device to his creativity to his appreciation of beauty to you know all of these are feminine qualities and uh, you know the, the point the point is um um you know when we when we really think about anchoring our, uh, about talking to people about the topic of happiness, I think what I tried to do differently with solve for happy and hopefully my future works is to talk to that left brain. You know the one that we've been trained to use first as a conduit that gets us to our heart now there is a ton of material available out there about how to anchor ourselves to the present moment unfortunately most of it is in is, is found in practice like yoga and meditation and so on or in spiritual teachings and and those do not tend to to speak to everybody's language so what i normally do is i start by saying you need to understand that uh everything you've ever strived to achieve never made you happy more than a few minutes or a few days at most okay and you don't need a scientific research for this I don't need to you know commission a study to study 50,000 people for you to understand this you just need to investigate your own life you know the last car that you bought the last uh, you know uh, woman that you could earn the love of the last whatever okay Uh, there is a limit to 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 how how long a moment lasts, if you want, okay? Now, when you really uh, uh, um, understand this, you start to tell yourself, so why is the next moment going to be any different? It seems that every time I've achieved something, the goalposts keep keep moving forward, okay? So, it's, I'm not going to find happiness in any of those. I'm going to find happiness in that current state of being right here and right now. And I, I did a bit of analysis and soul for happy around negative and positive emotions as Amy was saying. And and you would find that most of the negative emotions we feel are found uh, to be anchored in the past or anchored in the future so regret for example is an emotion you feel right now but its anchor point is in the past you're thinking about something that happened in the past you know anxiety is about something that's going to happen in the future and that most positive emotions are actually anchored right here and right now okay now how do you do this one way of doing it is to actually take the spiritual practice which is known to work you know which is Train your 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 mind to focus on the present moment. You know, focus on your breathing, as the meditation instruction instructors will tell you, or or whatever uh, you know you need to focus on. I found that again to be difficult. So I'm I'm current, today I'm in London. I read a statistic that only eight percent of all the population of the United Kingdom meditates for one time a month, and that probably less than one percent uh, meditates regularly. Right? So it doesn't seem and even those who meditate regularly will do what half an hour a day. The, the practice of meditation is a practice where monks did for 17 years and meditated four to eight hours a day. Now, if we don't have access to that, we need to start anchoring ourselves to the present moment by observing life itself as we go through it and i i've i've developed you know many practices myself you know some of them are very simple i i take a pretty a, a beautiful picture on my phone every time i walk to work it's a very simple practice my walk could be 30 minutes and instead of just texting and looking at uh, my email and re- listening to a podcast, I'm, I apologize. But, you know, <laughs> right? but no, in reality, I try to anchor myself. When I listen to a podcast, I sit down with nothing else in my hand other than my phone. And I listen to a podcast fully, fully. It's a fully present moment where I listen to every word. Right. Now, you know, when I'm walking, I believe it or not, London has orange blossoms and orange trees. I never knew that right? But if you start to walk and look for beauty, you'll find beauty. And that will anchor you for 20 minutes to the real world. Now, if you do that at work by observing every number on every slide, at you know, uh, when, when you're with people by putting your phone face down and completely tuning into people, looking into their eyes, listening to their words, all of that, or each of those is a is a meditation practice that teaches your brain through neuroplasticity to develop your at deliberate attention deliver your you know develop your prefrontal cortex in a way that allows you to be present and and that's truly the only way I found to do it in the modern world
0: I love this this almost i think stereotypically conflicting ideas that you're talking about like you've got this very engineering background and science focused brain but what you're talking about is a very spiritual approach and i think those two things are often seen as at odds, but they're very clearly not for you. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, about how those two things work for you?
2: They're not not at odds at all. They're one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin, uh, two languages, if you want. Um, I I will, however, start by saying that the the core of my work is something I call the illusion of knowledge. And I think that's really what completely Uh, um, moved me from that control freakish uh, engineer that I used to be uh, at a younger age. The idea is if you, you you know, science tends to tell you that we figured things out. I can promise you we know nothing at all. We know nothing, nothing. It's like it's a joke. Okay. If you compare what we know uh, in quantity to what is out there to be known, we know nothing at all right and, and and if you if you take the 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 depth of our knowledge huh, and how frequently it changes so i i, I actually i normally I, and, and to me this was very eye-opening because i i started to read about physics at a very very young age and in my early years we we assumed in cosmology for example that um three percent of the known universe is made of solid matter and the rest was vacuum we called it vacuum is nothing right but then it turns out that 97 percent of the universe is made of dark matter and dark energy it's totally solid and we've completely missed it we've completely missed 97 percent of the universe now this is a, a very clear representation of how much we don't know you know today all of the dna we've sequenced and we're so proud of it is three percent you know what we call the rest of it we call the rest of it junk dna that's how that's how arrogant we are as humans it's like if i can't sequence it then it doesn't exist okay now with that in mind you suddenly realize that science doesn't know all the answers okay science is a very very interesting method and an attempt to understand things we can observe but as, as science shows us there are so many things that we don't observe yet because we don't have the instruments for them. So, you know, it wasn't too long ago when they thought that when you get sick, it's an evil spirit that comes into your body. And we didn't have a microscope to understand that there are germs, right? What else are we missing because we don't have the instruments for it? Now, if you realize that knowledge is just an illusion, Okay, that knowledge is just direction and it just helps you sort of grasp a little bit of what's going around. Then you start to tell yourself there must be quite a few things we don't understand. And then you start to find hypotheses, which is the scientific method, that are starting from a spiritual story. Because spiritual stories also also are a little annoying when you really think about it. Okay, so, so that yeah, I mean, it's like you know, and then they met and then they did this and poof, and you know, that's like that doesn't really work for me. Okay, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? And, and if you take things like, for example, we were talking about being present in the, in the present moment huh? from a spiritual point of view, you can find the beautiful story about it, and you can really, really associate with the fact that the only moment you ever feel is right now. You go to theory of relativity and Einstein's work, and you understand space-time and the space-time continuum and how the universe moves through the arrow of time, and you suddenly realize that, damn, that's actually true, that the only moment the universe ever experiences is the arrow, of, or the or, or the slice of the universe that I ever is, the, is, is is the moment of now along the arrow of time. And with that, suddenly it starts to link, starts to click. Right. And there are so many examples in quantum physics in you know, the big bang theory and evolution and so on and so forth, which are interesting, but not complete without being able to say, but there must be part of this that we haven't observed yet. And the hypotheses around those might be this or that.
0: Now we're going to take a quick break from our chat with Mo to give a shout out to our show partners. Shambhala Publications is the proud publisher of our book, Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat, as well as The Mama Sutra, A Story of Love, Loss, and the Path of Motherhood by Anne Cushman. As a listener of our show, you get 30% off your purchase with code santosha30 at shambhala.com. That's S-A-N-T-O-S-H-A 30, all caps on santosha. Support for Living It is also brought to you by KarmaSoft, simple, user-friendly software designed by yoga studio owners that makes it easy to check in students, easily handle payments and manage schedules. Both Amy and I use the software at our studios and love that it lets us spend more time with our students instead of doing admin work. And now, back to our conversation with Mo.
1: So I'm going to go back to my uh, maybe this is my engineering brain, but now I want to I have a how question. So you give an example in the book that was Really poignant for me, and it was, I'm going to forget about which car it was, but your wife took your car out, and and uh, we'll all put in our car of our dreams in this scenario, and you, you let your partner take your car out, and the car gets smashed, and the difference between it being the happiest day of your life or the worst day of your life with the exact same results, the car is smashed and your wife is okay, it'd be very different if she parked the car in the parking lot and somebody else smashed it and she was okay, we'd be mad. But she's in it and she doesn't die and you don't care that the car is smashed. So the same results happen, but it seems to be a matter of relativity. And so you is another how to look at the silver lining in every moment and to start saying everything is perfect. This is how it should go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Everything's perfect is a, is a wonderful way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is to say nothing is perfect, uh-huh. but, but, but it doesn't really matter either way. I okay? see. So, so what, what really matters is uh, uh, life is bound to come with some harshness and challenges. Okay, but it's also bound to come with a lot of beauty and inspiration and connections and experiences. And that's what life really is for every single one of us. You know, it doesn't matter how much wealth you have. It doesn't matter, you know, how successful you've become. It doesn't really matter. Every experience is tasted and felt differently. So, you know, I I always use the example of saying sweet and sour, which is a favorite for, for many people is not a favorite because it's only sweet or because it's only sour right and and sour is not bad because sour in sweet and sour is actually found to be quite interesting right and and so the trick here is to under is to look at life and tell yourself what has actually happened hmm, has actually happened there is no way i can change that hmm? uh, if there is something in it that is wrong then this is the fire alarm going in my head, telling me to be unhappy, and there needs to be a reaction to that. But surprisingly, sixty to seventy percent of the adu- of the thoughts in the adult brain are always saying something is wrong did you realize that so this is actually actual research will tell you that the adult brain is always negative 60 to 70 percent of the time something's wrong now is it even conceivable that 60 to 70 percent of your life is wrong you wouldn't be alive if that's the case now the, the 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 truth is we tend to look for what's wrong that's our brains 10 bias and it does that because it cares more about keeping you safe than keeping you happy so if it looks for what's wrong and it finds it that's a good thing if it makes you unhappy that's irrelevant but if it doesn't look for what's wrong and it misses it then you might lose your life that's right, how survival yeah that's the way your brain thinks about things now that the, that is very appreciated i love your brain great thank you for keeping me safe but you can do better than this first the first step i always ask my brain i say brain is that true what you just told me is that true because sometimes it exaggerates a little my brain to, 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 to get my attention. If it isn't true, I drop it. If it is true, then I ask myself, what is missing in that story? Is there more? Is it not a, the complete truth? Is there positivity that I need to find? That's number two. Number three is I say, okay, if even if it's true and there, are, there is no positivity in it, what can I do about it? And when we talk about what can I do about it, suddenly... Hmm? my brain starts to go like mm, interesting I'm now going to use the problem solving parts of my brain not the complaining parts of my brain and look at the problem very differently and, and even if there is nothing to, to be done about it can I accept it hmm? and start to move forward to make my life better despite its presence and I, I really think happiness is just that very simple flowchart. I I lost Ali, my my child, as you know, as the trigger for for my work on happiness, for writing about happiness, and you know, and my uh, the first three days, my my brain was doing nothing but telling me you should have driven him to another hospital. You know, yeah, I appreciate your concern, brain. You want to save him. I want to save him too. But what can I do with this thought? What can I do with this? i literally out loud i told my brain okay brain i wish i could but i can't now is there anything we can do and so my brain goes back okay maybe we should down and you know we should sit down and write what he taught us about happiness at the beginning of the of the of the my my initiative it was 10 million happy my brain wanted to share what ali taught me about happiness with 10 million people and in my mind now i'm saying i'm thinking okay if i can make 10 million people learn what he taught me find happiness as a result and love him then i've honored him and and it doesn't bring him back but at least at least it it makes me feel that it wasn't for nothing that he left and and that's what i did and when you really start to engage in life that way suddenly i i don't know how to say this i lost my absolute pillar of life i loved him so much i still love him more than anything in life and i am not unhappy today I'm not unhappy because he's back. I'm I'm not unhappy because he's part of so many millions of people. He's touched the hearts of so many millions of people. Because if I had asked him before he died, Ali, would you give your life for 47 million people to feel happier? He would have absolutely said yes. Now, that idea of happiness is a choice that I can take charge of my life and I can do things despite what life throws at me. Is is reflected clearly in the idea that just by changing your perspective of what's actually happening in your life, you could find happiness in the exact same situation.
0: I think some of what you're talking about is what you call in the book priming your brain for happiness. Is is that right? And can you talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that?
2: Yeah, you you I I think that the core Core. So, 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 so the way I I, I describe happiness in in Sword for Happy is not to talk about what makes us happy. I talk about what about stopping what makes us unhappy. I say there are six grand illusions and seven blind spots that f- that basically spoil the way we solve the happiness equation. Now, one of them is what I call the illusion of thought. So we spoke about the illusion of knowledge. The primary primary illusion that's very prominent in the west is an is the idea that we believe that the little voice in our head is us talking to us okay we have, you know i think therefore i am the, the words of descartes seem to be the pillar of what we uh, uh, you know of the way we navigate life if if there is something in my head then i have to listen now the 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 interesting question is if you you know every, our our hearts they pump blood around our body and and the function the product the biological product of our the existence of our heart is is blood no one says i pump blood therefore i am right no one ever you know no, no one ever just wakes up in the morning and says i pee therefore i am you know if, it doesn't really make sense when you think about it even though your kidneys have the you know biological function of uh uh uh, produce taking poisons out of your body in the form of a biological product that's called urine right now unfortunately we don't as fortunately we don't associate with that yet we associate with the thoughts in our heads okay we think that those thoughts of our in our heads which are simply a biological product of the brain the brain simply makes sense of the world around it and and tells you those concepts in the form of words so that you can grasp them Right. And and somehow we say, I think, therefore, I am it's I associate my being with that thought in my head that the truth is. So thoughts are real. huh? But the illusion is uh, thoughts are not you. So it's not I think, therefore, I am. It's I am. Therefore, my brain thinks. And once you see, once you see that, you start to see your brain as a third party. I mean, I, I make the joke. I call my brain Becky.
1: Okay,
2: I I do. Right. Becky, Becky is simply, uh, uh, you know, a third party. And when I talk to my I apologize for any Becky's listening to the the podcast, I mean, but but but, you know, when when you think of, of your of your thoughts as a third party, suddenly you have that objective view of actually questioning what your brain is saying. Right. And because your brain is a survival machine, so it's supposed to find what's wrong with everything. Which is a recipe for disaster because it breaks the happiness equation every time right so your brain is looking for what's wrong it wants events to miss expectations and when you look for something you find it so you end up missing expectations all the time you end up being unhappy just because you focused on the negative now you want to fix that 90 percent of the time believe it or not is what i call unwarranted unhappiness unwarranted unhappiness is an event that doesn't deserve a second of your unhappiness But your brain is locking you in it like unhappiness on demand, playing it over and over and over and over, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if you're in charge, you go like, Becky, that doesn't make sense. Like if the Uber driver didn't smile for seven minutes, I shouldn't be crying about it for seven hours. It's it's not a very good ROI, you know, it's not a very good use of my life, right? And and suddenly those conversations, I actually have those conversations sometimes out loud when my brain goes out of control. I had an argument with my wonderful daughter once. I mean, everybody does, huh? And and I I said, okay, baby. So I'm going to go out for a walk and think about this. The minute I go out of the door, my brain goes like, Aya doesn't love you anymore. I swear to you, I stopped in the street, in the middle of the streets of Montreal, and I said, What the f did you just say? What, right. what 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 evidence do you have for this? How can you st- destroy something so precious and dear to me with one thought like that? Now you need to prime that machine to do what it's supposed to do. You know, if if we recall from uh, Edward de Bono's work in the I think seventies or eighties, uh, the six thinking hats, right? The problem is if you look for what's wrong first, your brain goes on for hours. Mm-hmm. Hmm? You need to prime your brain to look for the full picture and sometimes look for what's right first, because most of our life is right, and and I say that again. It's not normal for us to be sick, at least for the majority of us, for, for those who have illnesses that last with them for life. I, my heart's with them, of course. But but for, for most of us, humanity, we are... You know, illness is what disrupts the norm, which is health, right? You catch a cold four times a year, at, you know, whatever, how many numbers, but you're not with a cold for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. for you know you you're almost always walking on solid ground the nature is not earthquakes okay and and we forget that that 99% of the time is positive
1: how do we prepare ahead of time then for i mean i know what i do from a yoga perspective and be curious to see if you have if you would say you practice yoga or a specific a spiritual kind of outlook but i how can we better Prepare for when the big things happen. Is it just day to day being present and having a reminding ourselves all the time that things are ninety nine percent good of the uh, good most of the time, so that when something catastrophic happens, we're ca- more capable of not losing it, or is it okay that we have to lose it every so often? Of
2: course, of course, it's okay. So these these are two very important question, uh, uh, questions. Okay, of course, it's okay to lose it. Of course, it's okay to embrace our emotions fully, you know, if we don't feel unhappy, we are disabling our survival mechanism. It's, it's, it's like putting your your finger in the, in the electricity plug and not feeling pain, right? Pain is needed, pain is important to alter our direction, it's, it's the suffering that is stupid, huh? it's the suffering which is the pain on demand. Your 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 uh, partner says something annoying on a Friday. You would repeat it to yourself on Saturday and then Sunday, and destroy yourself with it, while the event has already happened and you know it's it's behind you. You can either do something about it or it's forgotten. Now, um, you know it is it. It's important that we allow ourselves to feel unhappy, and it's important that we acknowledge that. But we should not stay there, and and just surrender to the constant uh, uh buffering and, and and repetition of that uh, unhappy story now what do we do when we prepare for for disasters and catastrophes define define disasters because because in an, in, in a way i i so i i, I wrote a, a test in Solve for happy that i called the eraser test at the time i used to work Uh, as chief business officer of Google X. And so, you know, I sort of wrote wrote a a funny technological example. I saw, I said, we find, we we found an innovation that allows you to erase any event in your life. So you can pinpoint an event back in your past and you can go back and erase it, okay? And I, uh, you know, I ran that test with around 30,000 people maybe And I basically said, look, anything, you know, that bully in school, that horrible relationship, whatever it is, the only condition is if you erase that event, you're going to erase everything good and bad that happened as a result of that event. All of the learning, okay, all of the people that you met as a result, everything that made you the person that you are today, would you erase it?
1: I would say everybody says no.
2: Almost everyone. Almost I think, everybody. I think I had seven people say, no, I would still erase it. The trauma was so bad, okay? And I respect that fully, hmm? but, but the idea is that if you would not erase a single event from your past, even though at the time it felt like a calamity, why would you expect that this calamity is bad, right? Why would the next one be the one that is horrible? Every one of those. Because again, life is a zero sum game I, I I use gaming analogies because I'm very engaged in a video game as we speak but 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 the idea is this huh if If the game was about starting and then pushing the controller forward for seventy years and then poof dying, that would be a horribly boring life. okay you would learn nothing, you would develop n- nothing, and you would never be a better person. The joy of life is to be challenged every now and then and because it's a zero-sum game surprisingly those challenges that don't break you they only make you stronger and honestly they make the game more interesting okay so if none of what happened in our past is erasable because we want the good that came as a result then maybe I wouldn't erase the next one I wouldn't however say I should ignore it no because it hurts losing my son Hurts until today. Five years later, I cry four times a week. Right? I miss him. He's very dear to me. I would love to be with him. There are all of those emotions there, and I, and and you know that lie that boys don't cry. That's stupid. That's the mo- the worst thing that the modern world told us. Hmm? the 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 worst thing is don't acknowledge your emotions. Your emotions are real. If you don't acknowledge them, they're gonna build up in uh, inside you, and they're gonna go bad you acknowledge them, but choose your actions as a result. That's the whole idea. And so prepare for the next disaster, because it won't be really a disaster, but rep- prepare for the next harshness by understanding that the last harshness wasn't that bad after all.
0: Amy and I were both really struck by the fact that so many of the themes in your book and so much of what we're talking about now are related to things that we have learned or taught in yoga. So Amy asked you before, and and I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back to that. So do you have a yoga practice or, or what does your spiritual practice look like? And then, what is spirituality's role in happiness? What have you found with that?
2: I, I have I have tons of practices. Uh, I, I mean, we need an, another pro- podcast for this, uh, but uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, and and I and I somehow allow myself to uh, to to. Um, to morph the practices that come from the core so that they fit my lifestyle so so for example you know when you talk about yoga you can do yoga or i need to go to the gym at my age i need to go to the gym sometimes and lift and there is the balance side of yoga okay if once you do that when you're lifting oh my god the, the whole exercise becomes different huh? i don't take a phone with me to my to my uh, uh, um, um, gym, I don't look at the time, I don't listen to music, I completely, completely indulge in it, almost like it's a yoga, on top of yoga, right? if you know what I mean, but those, I allow myself to modify those, I think the core question, however, is spirituality, because spirituality is a very um, a contested topic in the modern world sometimes, now, there are there is religion and there is spirituality, okay, and I think people mix them up, uh, spirituality is a core message that assumes that there is something bigger than you are, uh, whether that thing is the the uni- unification of all of us as one, or that thing is the divine, or that thing is whatever we don't know, or your own spirit, something that is non-physical in you. Uh, this is what spirituality is about, is to relate to something that is not physical, okay? To try and grasp that complexity uh, and beauty of what you cannot grasp with your eyes and ears and your the instruments are that are geared to understand the physical world perhaps the only instrument that can grasp spirituality is your heart but it's not a very fine tuned instrument unfortunately in the modern world now with 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 that as the definition then comes religion and religion i say that with respect i'm a religious person by the way i believe in many many religions at the same time and i practice many of them uh, and uh, and uh, and i would say openly that religion messed up okay uh, a big part of religion unfortunately is man written not even woman written uh, it's mostly man written okay and uh, and and it's it's mostly focused on practice it's mostly almost like an operations uh, see, is chief operating officer of a of a company trying to make people align and do the same things now when you when you don't like parts of spirituality uh, sorry parts of religion some people give up on spirituality and i think that's really, really such a waste, such a, a mistake, because, you know, like uh, if I gave you a, a, a bag full of sand and I told you there was one gold nugget in it, you wouldn't throw away the bag of sand and say, no, I'm not interested. You would literally sift through the sand to find the gold nugget. And, and that's truly what's, you know, what finding that beauty in spirituality is all about. It's to sift through the dirt and find the beauty. Now, I, I wrote 12 chapters in soul for Happy that I believe do not require any spirituality for us to be happy in the physical world. But remember, my trigger for writing the book was that I lost my wonderful son. So my, my wonderful son's physical form decayed and I needed to to reflect on something that's beyond the physical. So I had to reflect on what I call uh, on, on death, of course, and then what I call design, and design is the idea that there is a designer, there is something bigger than just the physical world that we live in. I took those from a very, very, very scientific point of view. So when I when I spoke about death, I used theory of relativity and a mix of quantum physics and uh, and uh, um, and the big bang theory to help people understand that life is actually not you know it's not the opposite of death that you know birth is the opposite of death that we come to this world through the portal that we call birth we leave through the portal that we call life uh, we we call death and that life uh, lasts uh, before during and after right but that's a very scientific approach I, I i find i found a very scientific approach through mathematics and theory of probability to tell people it's very very unlikely that there is nothing there uh, that is bigger than us okay Uh, and and you know i don't say arrogantly like some of the 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 spiritual or religious leaders let's call them Um, i don't say it with certainty but i say it's a very 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 large probability that this was not you know the universe and everything we live in Uh, it's not a result of randomness and then if there is something bigger than the physical universe then maybe it would be wise for you as a gamer to think about what the next level looks like now happiness If your unhappiness is related to something that, uh, uh, you know, crosses the physical world into the non-physical, you would need spirituality to find that. Having said that, for everyone listening, if you're not spiritual, there is still 12 other concepts that are very, very important, at least in my definition, but in in many other writers and, and thinkers. There are so many things you can do in your current day that have nothing to do with spirituality that can make you a lot happier the only choice you have to make is to say, I deserve to be a lot happier. That that I am not here as a machine that is brought here to make money and buy things and consume and then disappear. I'm here to live a full life that is content and peaceful and full of love and full of happiness and hopefully prepare during that life for what my, what, what the next life might be.
1: Well, that brings us to a really Good point. We we like to kind of move toward the end of our interviews with a very similar question based upon the topic of the day, and our in and ours today, of course, is contentment and happiness, uh, santosha, in the sutras and yoga, and the subtitle of our book of living the sutras is a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat, and so when we were writing our book, our goal was to help you know this. 2000 year old practice become tangible and relevant and not, and not concept, but actually applicable, like, we'll call it off the mat, you know, or the everyday practice, what is the most tangible thing for you right now that you do to stay content? So, so uh, first,
2: I totally commend what you're doing. This is what it's all about. So much beauty is sometimes hidden for the people that are unable to associate with the two thousand old year old practice. So yeah, so that's amazing. I think my favorite favorite uh, uh, practice now is what I call mini silent retreats. Uh, so I, um, I, I, if if anyone hasn't done silent retreats, you're missing out. They're incredible. Okay, uh, t- difficult at first, but quite. Uh, detoxing and cleansing and insightful wonderful experiences but my, most of us can't do four days and most of us can't do uh you know 10 days and so on and i uh, you know i tend to try and and deal with my reality the reality of my lifestyle so i do two things um, uh, one is uh, every morning i uh, you know shout at my phone and i ask my phone my, my google assistant to uh, set a timer for 25 minutes and then I put my phone face down and I uh, completely stay uh, silent. In, instead of observing my breath, I observe my thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I let Becky talk and I have very simple three, talk, three rules. I, I tell my brain, I repeat everything my brain says, and then I ask for my brain to bring the next thought. And then I have a simple rule of don't repeat anything. So if, if a thought came before I say, but we heard that before and and that practice is really interesting because I sit down and then it says oh my god it's raining today I go like oh it's raining today what else uh, you know remember to call Aya and ask her about this and that okay great I'm gonna talk, call Aya and ask her about this and that and then you know um, this person is an idiot oh come on brain you shouldn't say this but I acknowledge it this person's an idiot right And then and then my brain after a while believe it or not, does an amazing thing, They're amazing. It's like at, at the beginning, it blabbers a few ideas and it go, and then it goes like, oh, he's listening. Like, I, I need to come up with something smart here. And it, you can visibly see, sense it. Yeah, sense it slowing down. Okay, until after a while, it starts to go like, um, remember to call Aya and, do, and you go like, but you said that before, right? What else? And your brain goes like, um, nothing. That's it, really. And you get that moment, and for, for me, it's between minute 12 and minute 15, maybe, where you get that moment of total silence. That is the ultimate joy in the universe. Like it's unbelievable. Huh? Once everything shuts down, everyone has to try this at least once in their life. And, and, and that practice, you know, and normally that moment of silence, by the way, for most of the time is followed by a moment of massive insight. Like your brain just, I don't know what, your heart probably drops something like you go, wow, I did not know that, right? And, and that's a practice that I do almost on daily basis. The other practice I do is on Sundays, every other Sunday, I set my alarm clock to 3 p.m. Uh, before I go to sleep on Saturday night. And whenever I wake up, uh, I don't care when I wake up, I don't check time, I don't read, I don't listen to music, I don't interact with anything, I just stay in silence until my alarm goes off at three. And th- that I count as my mini silent retreat. Sometimes it's six hours, sometimes it's four, I don't care. Uh, and it re- uh, you know, because of neuroplasticity, uh, going on a silent retreat of four days every year is not as effective as doing a silent retreat every other Sunday. OK, even if the, if the every other Sunday is just four hours, it does make a massive, massive difference. And it really anchors you into that quiet place that you want to be.
0: Mo, thank you so much. This has been absolutely delightful and we will definitely have to have you back because I feel like we just scratched the surface. So.
2: I would absolutely love to. I I, I think what we're doing is exactly the same. We're trying to spread the exact same message. And you're you're wonderful. And I'm really grateful that you have me here.
1: We feel the same. Thank you so much, Mo.
0: Thank you for listening to Living It. For those of you who want to find out about Mo and where he's speaking, visit solveforhappy.com. You can find links to this, as well as more information about the resources we discussed in this episode in the show notes or at our website, livingitpodcast.com. For those of you interested in deepening your practice while also enjoying the sun and sea, Amy is leading her annual retreat in Mexico, December 1st through the 8th. Visit tantramadison.com for more info. For those of you who can't escape to the beach, I'm leading an online course on the sutras this fall. Send me an email at Kelly at livingitpodcast.com to learn more. And remember, listeners get 30% off the Mama Sutra, a story of love, loss, and a path to motherhood at shambhala.com with the code santosha30. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really love doing this. Please share the podcast with your friends. Message us on Instagram at Kelly DiNardo and at Amy Pierce Hayden. Email us through our website, livingatpodcast.com, subscribe in iTunes, write a review. We really love doing this, so please help us continue to keep the podcast going. Thanks for listening.